This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And welcome, folks, to another edition of the Michigan Football Breakdown focused on the offense with Al Borges coming to you from a, a different location today. Had a little snafu last night, a little run in with a deer, but we won't let that throw off the show, especially since Al wanted to debut his new background uh, because, you know, he is the the guy who has molded a few quarterbacks, including the Monday morning quarterback, Devin Gardner, uh, during his time in Michigan. And, and Al, we see you. We see you and Devin. We see you, Devin, and TB12 himself. If you can please kindly come into the picture now, take your seat as you uh, make your entrance. I know you were looking forward to this. I know this is this kind of lets people know how Al Borges gets down. You really wanted to show him. So, so yeah, there's, you know. there's no question who the best looking dude in the in that picture is, and it's on the right hand side. Only problem is he probably should be standing on a box to get a little more symmetry to that picture that picture because it's not it looks a little dis, disproportionate right now <laughs> see man i think you're stacking the deck with your fans in the stream i think you're stacking the deck with your fans in the stream because here's ferris khan it's a fun pack 71 percent of the earth is covered in water al borges can handle analysis of the rest thanks mom <laughs> that is relative of yours <laughs> Surely, surely. Yeah, and Matt Stumbo, we love you too. And I discovered Sam DG and Al doing these analysis to make the football season even better for me. Love what they do, and we love you too. Love doing the breakdowns, especially with a team like this. I mean, we would do it anyway, uh, even if they weren't this good, right? Absolutely. Yeah, we did analysis during the COVID season. Al, you yeah, remember that? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. That was, that was painful, actually. But, yeah, I do. I do remember that in a lot of ways. The COVID plus the season one is it wasn't exactly stellar. So, yeah, we did it. Didn't stop us, Sam. Yeah, it sure did not. Ahead. Yeah. And so you you like to say this is where the BS comes to die. And please yes. say BS. The the FCC because I play this on our radio show on uh, on WTKA as well. And the FCC didn't come get me last week. I forgot to bleep you out. we talked about that how could you forget that that's my language just isn't that cavalier okay now you on the other hand tend to you know when you're not on the air you tend to let it fly but i'm not that cavalier but i got it every so often there's a little slippage and then you know you got to bleep it here and bleep it there to cover me but you were you failed miserably it sounds like sam and that's god dog i don't know what to tell you on that i did i did i did well uh but we'll get better this week as far as making sure we don't get involved with any FCC rules violations. Uh, but, man, we do need to correct some narratives. We also need to offer some insight into some, you know, some position battles and some growth that we've seen on this team, Al, especially uh, we focus on the offense, some growth that we've seen on offense because it's, it's hidden by the lack of sort of like big-time gaudy offensive explosion like we've seen elsewhere in college football so it has it's fostered the impression 
that this offense is is struggling, that this offense has a lot of holes. And while they certainly are where they want to be, I think they're better off right now than a lot of folks think they are out. I don't think there's any question. And remember now, again, 64 plays, 64 plays, 43 plays, right? And that 61 in this game. So the numbers are not going to be as gaudy from the get-go. Now, could they be better? Yeah, they probably could be better. But this week really wasn't bad at all because I think um, one of the key things this week is they had excellent balance, Sam. Excellent balance. They had 201 yards rushing and 214 passing for 415 yards, which is pretty darn good. Now that tells us now they can't play one phase of their game. The defense can't play one phase of the game and just take it away, you know, take the rest of it away. So uh, I thought that was good. They did not turn the ball over, uh, which, again, that's good stuff. Uh, And what was particularly good was a third down efficiency. They were eight for 13 and two for two on fourth down and all those fourth downs, you know, those are, those are swallow hard downs, you know? So uh, I was kind of excited to see that Sam, we were talking about how they were stopping the dual play, right? Yes. Yeah. Oh God. Every stopping the dual play. looks like it's fading. Yeah. Right. They ran 15 dual plays in this game, Sam 15. (laughs) It made a hell of a comeback and because the nature of the defense allowed for more double teaming. And they added a little new dimension, which we're going to talk about to the dual play, which I think is really big. They could actually read it and pull the ball off the widest defender, who in other games was creating some problems on the dual play. So I was, uh, I was it was nice to see that they added a couple of creative schemes. They put they ran their insert zone three times. We haven't seen that all year. Mm-hmm. They ran a what what is I call it a hybrid play, kind of a split zone counter type deal where they, they motioned Bredesen and kicked out the end and ran uh, the wing around to lead it. it was, we'll show that on the, uh, on the uh, film study. We'll get a good look at that. But, you know, in the Big Ten, Sam, things get tougher on those offensive linemen now. Those defensive linemen are better than the guys they've been playing in the first three games. And for the first time, really, there were some protection issues, right? There was a few protection issues, and we're going to talk about that in the film study too, but that just comes with having to block better guys, you know, uh, maybe getting forced into some third downs or some situations that are must pass where, uh, where you got some issues or you could, where you can have some issues. I'll say that. But I thought for the most part, it was a solid performance. I tell you, Sam, and I told you before, I was scared of this game. This game concerned me because I think Rutgers in their third year with Shiano, I think it's his third year in it. Uh, they were going to be, you know, the culture was more settled and uh, they were going to raise some hell. And for a while they did. They did. But in the end, it was Michigan. Yeah. Listen, um, Rutgers has played Michigan tough. Though. I mean, his first year they played. Yeah, they did. You remember they came yeah. in and smacked Kate around a little bit? Oh, yeah. They rattled him. Yeah. They, they rattled, rattled him. Over. Yeah. They knocked felt, him down. Yeah. It and, felt like you, you could kind of see the, the, the playbook kind of shrink in the second yes, half of that game yes. because, you know, you had a quarterback who was – just not, not that, not as there as he was before that hit. So, right. you know, my point in bringing that up is, hey man, you know they got, they're physical, they're coming to play, they're not intimidated. Mm-hmm. And then last year they had a halftime lead, so every reason to believe that this is going to be a tough team coming in here. And then they get the they get the touchdown out the gate in an uncharacteristic yep. way. So yeah, it was it was going to be a game, but Michigan was vastly superior, uh, vastly superior when it came to talent. 
I think they're vastly superior when it came to coaching and they're at home and they're coming off a game where they were a little flat. So you expect it for them to rise to the occasion. But I think it's important to not have as Devin is he's he's stuck on this confirmation bias thing. Mm -hmm. You know, we have we all have things that we want to see them do. Like for me, make no no secret of it. I want to see Michigan RPO. Right. Why do I want to see Michigan RPO? Because I think against the better teams that they face, your your Penn State, so let's say they make the, the playoff again. When you face the top two, three teams in the country, I feel like it's a it, it's a, a really ideal way to balance the equation, even more so than they do uh, or in an additional way. You know, kind of they got other ways that they balance the equation with their run game. You know, Michigan's going to run into loaded boxes. We're going to talk about that. But I, I think in our desire to see what we want to see, like in my desire to see RPO, it, it, it makes you overlook some things. Like in the passing game, Al, you know, there's so many pro concepts with what they do. I point them out a lot. I'm going to make a habit of pointing them out more mm-hmm. week after week. I'll take you back to the TCU game, and you can kind of touch on this a little bit. Remember we were talking about that, that, uh, you know, hitch step versus plant throw on the Winston? Remember we were mm-hmm. talking about that? Yes, we and were. hitched it, and it, it was picked off. And every there's like, oh, he stared it down, or it was a bad read. No, it was just bad footwork. Yeah. Watch the very next week, I want to say, in Joe Burrow, same play, same coverage, and he plant through it, and it was a completion. We're watching those crossers, you know, so they had like those those kind of crossers kind of intersecting, and then you saw uh, Roman, it was against man, Roman comes across and he catches the ball clean mm-hmm. across the middle. Very next day. Watching Denver and uh, who Denver beat the Broncos, and man, they very same concept. Tyreek Hill's running wide open across the middle of the field. Yeah, the Dolphins. That's right. They're yeah. doing all the same stuff, Al. Pretty much. I mean, pretty much. Is you know, everybody has their menu of stuff that they're the most comfortable with in the passing game because they know that's what they're going to call in a game, right? And then when you start getting into a lot of things that really look good and are conceptually nice, but you're just not quite as good at. You know, and in the in, in, in the when it comes down to the brass tacks, are you going to call those plays that you're less comfortable with? Because I always call it, I, I use the term return to the womb when the pressure's on. You return to the womb when the pressure's on. So when push comes to shove and you need a yard, you're going to run a wedge play because that's what's worked in the past. If it gets stopped, eh, you can halfway sleep at night saying, you know what, we went with what we did best. Same thing the passing game. You know, we, we're going to run stick smash because stick smash is one of our – it's our culture. We run it a million times. We can run it in our sleep. And if they fail, if we fail for whatever reason, at least we fail at something we, we major in. You know, so you get you got X amount of concepts that you want to pick from, right? Smash concepts, option route concepts, crossing concepts, flood concepts, whatever. Okay, the passing game has a litany of stuff to it. But you got to pick – what you think you're going to call and what you're best at, and if it, and 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 usually those go hand in hand. Yeah, man. And so here's the other thing: there have been elements added every week, more so in the run game, at least noticeably in the run game. Because you know some things they they do in the past game you don't you don't really see. Like we get these questions: why aren't they why aren't they throwing shots? And Devin has made the point they've called shot plays in every game, but teams aren't giving them the shots. And instead of forcing it, you know, J.J. is taking what the defense gives, which is what you mm-hmm. want them to do, right? Eventually, yeah. eventually those those shots that they're calling, the shot will come open and he'll he'll throw it. But in the run game, Al, 
I mean, we have seen them do some different things to answer what teams were trying to do or were doing to them, we, whether it's outside zone, different ways to get to the perimeter, you know, jet sweep, outside zone, you know, different ways to, to do that. But I think the, the wrinkle that they added this week, to me, is the one that's the biggest bleat to the fit. I can't. I want. I got one. To, I want to get this on the radio, so I won't tell you. But you know what I mean. Yeah, it watch your bleep. language for goodness' sake. It is a bleep to defend a you. Ta- a, you attach a read to a do it because they're they're bringing that guy off the edge anyway, right? They're mm-hmm. bringing that guy off the edge anyway, mm-hmm. and you right. and you pull that ball. It's green pastures, Alan. We saw right. it Saturday. Yeah, if you're a purist, you got to watch the film study because we're going to detail the hell out of it. I can say hell, can I? Yeah, I'm you all right. You can say hell. You can say hell. They're going to we're going to detail the hell out of that thing because, as we have said each week, is the way people are stopping the duo is canceling inside gaps with outside pressures and movement up front. Okay, now Rutgers did some of that. They did, and and and, and when he pulled it, it happened. Big time on fourth and one. But what can happen on that is they cancel gaps. The ball gets kicked into an unblocked defender if you hand it to him. But if you read that same defender, Sam, read that same defender on the play, if he closes to stop the duo, you can pull the ball out and run around the edge. Now, the first time I saw that done, I was watching Kansas last year. I had all 22, and I heard they had a pretty creative run game. They had a really good running quarterback. So I looked at some of the stuff they did, and then I saw it when we studied TCU. Remember, we were looking at all the games TCU mm-hmm. played. And I said, boy, that's, you know, you got to bluff zone off the off the zone play, right? You got to bluff off the zone play. Why can't you do it off the uh, duo? The duo. And now it, it, it makes them – play more honest uh, with that outside player where he's not indiscriminate about closing so hard he adds into the run and becomes a free hitter. Yeah, that is a bleep to block. And it's, I mean, it's an example of, hey, man, that's the chess match. Yeah. All right, teams that come up with a way to not necessarily stop, but to slow it down. How do you get people off? How do you get teams off a duo? I'm sure you had to do that. When you were a coach, Al, you know, people scout you, they scout you, they scout you, they figure out, okay, how do we get them off this play? Mm-hmm. And Michigan has been working, they've been working like all off season, early this season. And how do we get people off our inside? And, and specifically, how do we get them off duo? I'm no coach, but to me, the wrinkle they put on tape this week is going to help them the rest of the year. Not And not just when they call, well, not just when he pulled, just when they call the play. Because they don't know if he is or not, right? Right. They don't know if he is or not. The three times he pulled the ball on duo plays, one, all of them were good, but one on that fourth down and one or fourth and two, whatever it was, was uh, was just deadly. It it killed him because had Rutgers stopped him there, they could have got back in the game, but they didn't. So uh, you know, you live and you learn. You people defense. If you talk to defensive coordinators, they have what I call busters. If a team is really good at maybe the power play. Okay, where you pull a guard, double team, and kick out. They have power busters. You know, they have certain defenses that they know that you will struggle with on that play. So they force you to go to another play and play what I call left handed, okay, which, you know, is not preferred, but you have to be able to have that counter punch to keep your running game going, okay? So either you got to add things to that play or you got to have an alternative play that exploits the buster. Yeah, man. And so 
uh, JJ, I thought, got the memo. That's the thing. So you want to run him. You want to present the threat. But you want to be smart about it. And we saw that on display a few times as well, where he could have got the extra three, four yards, but he didn't. He lived to fight another day. That's another point you can see on display on the field. Yeah, and that's something, you know, particularly because there's a lot of games to play. You know, uh, always I was always more hesitant to run the quarterback earlier in the season, but as they get into Big Ten play and, and the, the, the opponents become more and more formidable, you got to use your quarterback some to run without overusing your quarterback and getting him hurt. You know, so it's, you know, it's a delicate balance in there, but it can be a lethal weapon uh, to attack the defense when, when you, when you add those, those bluff runs or, 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 or duo reads and then the plus one runs, you know, the plus one runs where you can add a blocker on occasion, you know, just to, just to help you handle that loaded up box. That's all good stuff. And, and as long as you pick and choose when to use it, and not overuse it, I think it's really good good equipment for your offense. All right, so let's talk about uh, pass protection. Uh, let's talk about the offensive line battle. The tackle battle is what it, it it's ongoing. Uh, mm-hmm. It's going to continue another week, right? We mm-hmm. saw them alternate some this week. You know, there's, it's funny how narratives uh, get created. The, the, there was a busted coverage or a busted protection in the Bowling Green game. Yes, we think we speculate and forgive me, man. There's so many questions that we come up with during the and I forget to ask some of them. So I forgot to ask, was it a protection bust on the running back in that situation? Was it on Donovan? I don't know if that was the case, but if it was, we speculated that it was a mischeck. I mean, the way he went, it, it didn't look like a guy who just didn't know who to pick up on a protection. It looked like he missed the check if it indeed was his his fault. So there was something said about that during the broadcast. Mm-hmm. So in this broadcast, and I was trying to put it together. Someone asked me during the stream with Devin yesterday, can you talk about Donovan's blown pickup? And I was like, are you talking about the Bowling Green game? What are, what are we talking about? We went and looked at the tape. So the, the, the play where J.J. gets killed by uh, Lewis, who was committed to Michigan at one point, just a dead-on shot. I think people think that that was on Donovan. And watching the tape, Al, it doesn't look like that was on Donovan. No, no. I I doubt seriously if on a drop back protection they're assigning their best defensive end to the out running back. And if they are, they better reevaluate the protection and they're not that they're not that dumb. They're not going to do that. That was that was some communication error with there between the internal part of the offensive line. Somebody didn't get the memo, as you say. Because uh, the right tackle fanned out and the right guard went into turn protection, which left the end free. And Donovan stepped outside against the nickel blitz, thinking he had him, which I think he did. Mm-hmm. And the end came through free. So, And we're going to detail that. We're going to talk about the difference between turning your protection and sorting your protection. And we won't go into all those details now. But that's very, very dependent on communication, whether it be with the back, whether it be with the line, whether it be with a quarterback. All the protection works together with all the guys. So everybody has to know the left hand always has to know what the right hand's doing or something like that can happen. Right. So it, in this case, it looks like maybe there was a mischeck up front, mm-hmm. right? That doesn't, that doesn't excuse it, but you're, you're trying to look and see where, where does the fault lie, especially when you're talking about it within the context of a position battle. 
which mm-hmm. is what they're locked in. They're in th- it's basically they're, they're locked in a position battle for the starting tackles. And so it was very conspicuous to me. I don't know if this was by design, but after that missed pickup, so JJ gets killed. He stands in there like a G and completes it to uh to completed it. Yeah, we're going to show that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. He had a defensive end with a full frontal shot on a stick route, which a little six yard after the tight end, and he let that go, and ba-boom! I mean, oh, God, he got splattered. You learn a lot about your quarterback. Like yeah, time, you but... earn your NIL money there. I, I would say scholarship money, but I think there's more in NIL now. So. <laughs> but... Yeah, he stood in there and took it and delivered a good pass. Colston pulled it in. It was short of the first down. They kicked the field goal. They missed the field goal. Mm-hmm. The very next series, they changed their tackles. Now, mm-hmm. again, that might have been by design. We watched the the bowling green game and we said after after watching it that they're gonna they're gonna rotate Ladarius okay, yeah. in earlier right so that it may have been part of the timeline to substitute Ladarius in at left tackle mm-hmm. and move Carson over to right tackle in that moment but it seemed awfully conspicuous that they did it right after that missed protection or that protection bust uh there in the uh what was that the second quarter so I, again, insinuating that they might have expedited the process. Is I, that what you right, right. Or the, it, it might have been. It might have been something where they had a little talking to because they they eventually came back and Miles was back in the game later in the game. So they yes. rotated them some uh, the rest of the game too. But again, it's it was hard not to put two and two together when you watch that. It's like okay, the very next series they they change this up, mm-hmm. I, I, you know. But again, as you're doing the you know as a position coach. And you're weighing, all right, who's who's ahead, who who's the starter. I mean, this this was a game where it felt like the Ladarius Carson duo had a leg up on the on the Carson Hinton duo, if yes. you're matching them up. Yeah, I I I would tend to agree with that. And that really is the dynamic. The that dynamic changes if Ladarius goes into the game and that Ladarius goes to left tackle. And Carson moves to right tackle rather than Carson playing left tackle and, and Hinton playing right tackle. So it is different, okay? And and you got to see how all that chemistry works. And you can see now, Sam, and this is what I've been talking about from the beginning, is there can be errors when you're testing players. <laughs> but once those five – see, the thing I think Michigan's had the last couple of years is they played kind of with the same five guys, you know, outside of an injury here and there. And those guys learn the communication, the chemistry, and the playing in concert. But as you're going through the testing ground, or using the testing ground to find out who you really want to play with, there can be some problems that go beyond just watching their ability and how how well they pass protect or or run block. So it's just something to keep in mind as you assess that that competition. Yeah, and that's the part that we as as outsiders don't – you can't see that. Like, we can't see – if there was a if there was a communication yes. breakdown, we don't we that's something only they on the inside. Oh, Sam, either myself is I, I mean, forty three years of coaching and thirty years of coordinated, I coordinated all those schemes, but I can't definitively say exactly what the problem was. I can use my instincts and experience to deduce in an educated way what I think the problem was, 
And more often than right, I'm more often than not, I'm probably going to be right. But there's always a backstory. There's always a backstory. Well, Jones didn't get to Smith the turn call, so I went down. Smith went out. The back went in. Oh God, I know all that. I mean, naturally, a week ago it was it was uh, the mic the mic ID was to the right. Donovan shouldn't take, and everybody's going Donovan. Donovan. <laughs> you just got to know that there's all kinds of things that can happen in the process that may not, you know, the onus may not be on the on the player you think it is. Yeah, you know, the thing with, with Donovan is you, you feel like, unless before we get to the questions, your broad brush, and then you do the grades, and then we do the questions. There's so many comments and questions on Donovan. We'll get that in here. Like, man, what's up? what's up with him? I think two things are at play. He's clearly still getting his feel. Like, we saw it on the counter play where he, he kind of, you know, he kind of bounced it, uh, whereas opposed to, kind of letting his blocker clear and cutting up inside him. That's a, a feel thing that you, I feel like he's getting closer to, right? You know, they've worked on trying to get him a rhythm, kind of like Blake. You saw Blake on the counter the other way where he kind of let Bredesen clear. Yeah, it kind of held him, held him, Sam, yeah. Yeah, exactly, so he's, yeah. he's feeling it. He's got the rhythm. I think that the rhythm is still coming for, for Donovan. We also got to keep in mind, these are different runners. These mm-hmm. are di- just – you know, as, as far as their running style, if you want to compare them to some greats, I'm not saying they're they're these guys, so bear with me on the comparison, Al. Blake is more like Emmett. He's a north-south runner, right? Whereas Donovan is a home run guy, mm-hmm. and he seeks the home run. He So he might have a, a one-yard gain, a two-yard gain, or a one-yard loss, right? He might have that in there, and then boom, he's going the distance. And I, mm-hmm. the play that I think of is the Big Ten Championship, mm-hmm. right, where he he complete, he cuts across the grain on a split zone, and it's like, what? I had to ask him, like, what were you thinking right there? He's like, man, I'm thinking touchdown. I'm not thinking about these five mm-hmm. yards right here. I'm thinking touchdown now. So you as a coach, you got to figure out how to, how to let him be him, but to also focus it in a way where you are taking – too many losses. Now, I'm not saying that's been the issue in the first four games, but I'm I'm making a contrast between the kind of runners that they are. Yeah, and and they are different runners. They are definitely different runners. And when you're not in there all the time, because Corum's doing, you know, getting the bulk of the carries, not necessarily all the touches all the time, but the carries, it is it can be a rhythm issue. And if you are a home run hitter like Donovan Edwards is, it's in your mind when I get the opportunity, I want to hit that home run. You know what I mean? I don't want to gain four yards. I want to hit that home run. And patience can be a problem. I mean, it's that's it's just a it's natural. It's not it's not it's not it's not selfish. It's not it's just natural for him to say, "Hey, I can beat that guy to the edge. I've done it so many times." And then think in his mind he's going to do it, but then the scenario develops and that's not what's there. Well, just again, take take what the defense gives you. Use your help as best you can and let the big plays come because he's going to get them. Once he gets to that second level, he's going to get them. But where, where Donovan struggles sometimes is he, he's, his lack of patience will not get him to the second level. But when he does, forget about it because he's a bugger. When he gets to the line of scrimmage, he is hard to get down and to run down. So I think if as, as he gets more carries and he understands coaching, you know, Mike Hart will coach him up. And, and I think all those things will improve. Yeah, look, it's early in the season, and they're they are clearly trying to work on him in the passing game, 
Like every time he was in 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 the game as a receiver, they is not they he wasn't targeted, but he was he was definitely a part of the passing game. He was an mm-hmm. option in the passing game mm-hmm. in this game. You could really feel it. And it was in I think it was easy to anticipate based on the success he had as a receiver in this game last year. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast let's get to your broad brush uh folks if you have questions for al board just put them in the comments right now put them in the comments right now we'll get to them at the end of the show after we get to al's broad brush and then We'll obviously get his his uh, his grades for the game, but give me your broad strokes, Coach. Board. Okay, again, I, I say balance. I thought was was really the key. Their ability to run and pass with equal efficiency was really the telltale difference. More in this game than the previous three. They had twenty first downs. You'd like more than that, but again, of the twenty, eleven of them were rushing. Okay, a year a week ago, I think only four of them were rushing, and nine of them were passing. Again, that's 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 just excellent balance. Um, their ability to convert that was the whether the third or fourth down uh was really really good two for two on fourth down and eight for 13 on third down those are great numbers now you like to be you know 43 to 47 percent conversion on third down and they they did much better than that their average per play was 6.8 you know i'll take that in every game okay um so i thought all those things were good um again uh uh the uh, protection was not as good as it's been, and there was a reason for that. I think there was some communication issues. Plus, the the defensive line's better. I mean, these these Big Ten defensive lines are going to be better than the guys they've been playing against. So, I think that played a part of it, but a part in it, I should say. There were a couple of situations where there was a, and it, well, this wasn't often, but it was I think two or three plays that scheme issues came up where free hitters were falling into the hole unblocked, and they couldn't be blocked. 
you know, based on what was going on. But that's that was not something that was a blatant problem, but it did show up. Uh, J.J. missed a couple throws, I think, that he'd like to have back. But for the most part, it was pretty accurate, I believe. He was what, uh, I think I got him 11 for 15, 15 for 21. Does that sound right? At 8.9, which isn't bad. That isn't bad at all. So um, from a, a good defensive football team uh, that they had to face, they did a pretty good job against them. They really did. I thought uh, it was a little slow to go at the beginning, but uh, for the most part, when it was all said and done, they had over 400 yards. They didn't turn the ball over, and they ended up scoring over 30 points. So that's a pretty good day. All right, Al, let's get into your grades. And again, folks, if you have questions for Al Board, just put them in the comment section. That is always one of the most revealing parts of the show where people ask them very good questions and the key gets a chance to flex his genius as he would call it right so al Al is looking forward to that but al your grades for the game yeah uh the offensive line had more minuses in any game i had them with 37 which isn't god awful but it's it's more than they've had and uh i graded them about a b to b minus i mean that for 37 again you're talking about really six players because uh ladarius played uh, as much as any of the other kids did. So you talk about six guys, that's not gut terrible, but that's that's not as well as they could play. Now, what they did do a good job of is pushing the line of scrimmage when they did get everybody blocked. You know what I mean? They got some great movement on some of the duo plays, and they basically sometimes just mushed it up there for five yards, which I really like. Okay, so when they didn't, when they didn't turn somebody loose, which they didn't do a lot, but uh, they did create movement up front, I thought that was a big deal. The tight ends, I gave a B plus. I thought they improved from last week. I think, uh, particularly, I want to I want to uh, call out uh, Ben Bradison, who I think is playing very well. Max, who is uh, Max. Uh, what's that? Max, Max Bradison. Okay, yeah. I got my I got my Bradison screwed up. Uh, he did a great job. I think he's he has improved every week, and he's being used in kind of a hybrid role. He's not really an in line tight end, but he's a motion guy, an off the line of scrimmage guy, a fullback. But he's been doing a good job, and I just haven't had many mistakes. Um, wide receivers were solid. Uh, could have blocked a little better, but I gave them a B. Running backs were solid. Again, had all together with uh, two minuses. And, uh, and again, for the most part, pretty good. I gave them a B. And I gave uh, J.J. a B minus. He played pretty good, but he missed some throws that were uncharacteristic, Okay. But didn't miss a lot. I, I had him with four or five missed throws. I think he'd like to have back. But, again, he's a huge reason why you're winning the game, okay? Even with, with maybe an occasional deficiency, he is uh, he is playing very, very well. He added his running dimension to this game and made the defense feel it, you know? And I thought that was huge. So, uh, overall, I, the whole offense had given a solid B, to. Again, they can play better. They can play better. But they weren't bad. Yes, sir. All right, folks. So your questions for Al Board, just throw them in the comments. Uh, I want to also incorporate some questions from our folks over at the MichiganInsider.com. And I saved this one for you, Al. It was it was actually in a thread for questions for Devin. But I think that the, the questioner realized as he was typing it, this is probably a better question for Al. <laughs> oh, every question is a better question for me than Devin. Just know that. You know, you, you ask about the quarterback, that's Devin. Uh, that Devin and Al. You ask about everything else, you know, especially the run game. 
let's talk to Al. So he said, uh, this is MBHave. He wants to know. This is a long question now, so bear with me. He said, why are we trying to minor in zone running? I understand booting up the perimeter game, but I haven't seen a poor man's inside zone like this since 2000s when Michigan first tried it with A-Train. In college, I played against a record-breaking team that could both run zone and counter, and it was really tough. Figuring out the difference between a down block and a zone step is tough, and so it's hard to tell direction. However, our inside zone just isn't getting fit fast enough or enough lateral movement to get to the backers, which is strange considering how good we are with duo. The running back play for inside zone is totally different, more of a one-cut-back run. Uh, most of the big plays come off backside block when the defensive end gets nosy on the front side. His uh, overall thing, because it gets longer, uh, he says, overall seems ambitious and an extra step too far due to the Joe Moore hype. I'd rather put in the time to newly gelling O-line to combo the linebackers, perimeter blocking, and run, running backs reading blocks better for outside, um, maybe, and then to get outside, maybe use Jim Jim's old Stanford toss play. I think, to put it in a nutshell, why are we doing outside zone? Why are we not emphasizing just being a, a, a killer inside zone team and just maybe doing a toss sweep or something to get, get outside? He feels like we're tiptoeing as far as being a, a really good inside zone team. What say you? Well, it's because they're, they're picking their poison, and their poison has been the dual play forever, okay? They've always had zones, whether they were split zones or, or, or bluff zones or whatever zones, okay? But when push comes to shove, again, going back to the womb, like I said, it's usually going to be a dual play. Now, the thing you got to pick your poison on is how you want to get outside. And I don't believe you can just say, we can't run an outside zone. That's absurd. You've got to have some kind of perimeter running game. Now, not everybody's going to run the knockout zone like like Den- the Denver Broncos and run it 50 times a game and be great at it. But you can still run an efficient outside zone that can counterpunch some of the things they're doing with the inside zone. Okay whether it be that, whether it be married to a fly, whether the blocking scheme be the same, but the perimeter movements are different, I don't care. But you have to have some kind of perimeter running game. It's, it's, it's just not practical to think you can't. Now, the question I think, and again, that was a hell of a lot to digest, but I think I got the crux of it, is uh, how much zone do you want to run? Do you want to run more zones and take away some duos? Again, it, it comes down to picking your poison. Michigan so far anyway, has chose to be more of a duo team. Now, when we watched Michigan play a couple years ago, they were more of a split zone, uh, open zone, read zone type team. And the duo play was really not that prominent. But as they graduated uh, their running game, and I think a lot of it's been taken from the, the Ravens, the duo became more prominent. Well, it's hard to get good at everything unless you want to run the ball every single play, which they don't, and that's smart because balance is what makes them a good offensive football team. So zones are great, but how many? what's the balance of runs? You have to choose what the balance of duo plays to zone plays to counter plays to power plays. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You get into a lot of stuff, okay? And some of them, there's nice carryover because the power play is very similar to the counter, but it's different. There are players doing something different on the play. So you got to rep those, and they got to get good at it. One time the guard's got to pull and kick out the end. The next time the, the back's going to kick out the end. Now they got to see all those looks. When does it? When the end closes, what happens? When the end gets kicked out, what happens? And then how that ties to all the rest of the players. So 
like I said, I, I did homework years ago on, on, on trying to develop run games, how best running teams that run the football without running the option play. And I'm not talking about the read option. I'm talking about the, the, the triple option. And what I found is you can get good. The good running teams were good at about three plays, two or three plays, and then had ancillary plays that they would use as counter punches to teams that were overplaying those three plays. So um, that's how you do it. I think that's the best way to do it. I think Michigan's got the right idea. If they want to do eliminate, you know, uh, not run as many dudes, they could probably get better at the zone. But in their world, in their world, they believe that their, their dual play is good. The play passes off the dual player are good. And it's, uh, you know, certain games, it's not going to be as good. We've already seen that. But it still is their mother play, their starting point for the run game. Fifteen duo plays were run in this game. Three counters were run, three insert zones, uh, uh, three split zone arcs. And that's about six to eight pure zone plays, okay? Uh, but there were a lot more dual plays run because that's what they felt in this game was their best approach. And I think every game, that's their first thinking is can we run that play and if we we can't then what's the answer okay yeah i don't have any idea whether that answered his question but that's my assessment of how you approach the run game all right brandon wants to know are you going to be talking about bass fiddles today al bass fiddles bass fiddles fiddles. fiddles, sorry about that well no because that's only when you really can't throw a pass complete you know if you can't throw a pass complete then you can't hit a cow in the ass with a bass what is a bass fiddle I, I, I don't Sam. even know what a bass fiddle is. Adam. You don't know what so many things are. A bass <laughs> fiddle, I believe, is a big old cello-looking thing where the guy kind of strums. He doesn't use a bow to play it. He, he plucks at it with his fingers, okay? Now, a bass fiddle is something that if you swung it at a cow's ass, you'd have a great chance to hit it because it's big and the cow's ass is big, right? So if you can't hit a cow in the ass with a bass fiddle, you're not throwing very good, okay? So that's that. Again, that was really a, a, that was. I spent a lot of time on something that was really insignificant, but since you asked the question, you needed to be edified. All right. Um, so uh, Brian blocks at the read duo was was brilliant. I, I'm interested in how you said you saw it with Kansas last year. Mm-hmm. Was that the first time you said? Had you seen a read duo before? Well, I think I might have, but not significant. I mean, it might have been like in there somewhere. Well, Kansas, because they will run the duo. Now, they're a running quarterback offense, Sam. I want you to remember that now. They're a running quarterback offense. So much of what they do is read plays off zones, read plays off duo, plus one runs, quarterback draws. They do that because their quarterback is so good at it, right? So uh, if you want to watch uh, somebody uh, has a creative – scheme with regard to running your quarterback, Kansas is a good place to start because if you watch five games, you'll get all kinds of ideas on how to run it. But that, I think, is the first time. But if I told you I saw it run significantly in other games, I if I did, I, I don't recall it, but I know they did it. Yeah, man. Uh, I think we watched them. We watched the Bears run a duo kick with Justin Fields, and he kept it. Remember that? Yes, and ran all the way. Uh, and he ran all the way. He ran it for a touchdown, right? Yes, he did. Yeah, yeah. So, that's the next thing. They did not run a duo kick. They ran wing duos, right? Crease duos where they, you know, they would line up a guy in a wing or line up a guy in a crease inside the tight end. And then at the end would close, they just pull the ball. But if you run the duo kick with a read, it's going to be more natural 
when that outside guy sees that guy coming across to kick him out, where he'll turn to play the block. Now you get some beautiful edges when you pull the ball. Yeah, I know that's in the playbook. I know that's in the playbook. So I'm just hey, listen. They they are figuring out ways to get teams off duo, and you just you know you coaches don't get as much credit for running game innovation or running game wizardry as they do for passing game wizardry. I guess that's just a no. It's know, the nature it of the beast, right? It doesn't make you look as much like a genius when you run the ball. You know what I'm saying? But when you pass the ball, you always think you're outsmarting the guy. You know. But something about Michigan that, that, I mean, if you watch other teams play, you can watch three games and basically know the team's running game. You know, almost sometimes watch one game. They're an inside zone team, zone read team. They run the counter play, blah, 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 right? Michigan's going to hit you every week with something different off something that's natural to them. Now, like we're going to talk about this little split zone deal they did and arc the guy they do all that stuff but they've never shown that play and we're gonna that we'll detail that yeah i mean i have to have i hate to i hate to give you a compliment al but why not sam (laughs) devin sure isn't gonna give me a compliment so (laughs) no he's not no No, he's not but i mean you're you're right you know i'm thinking i'm saying what is that al is that a split zone is that a split zone is with a second guy coming around? I mean, things that would can confuse lay people, even some coaches, they got to go back at least as a coach, Al, you at least have to go back and look at it, right? And when mm-hmm. when you have to go back and look at something, I'm like, okay, well, that's that's something right there that they're, mm-hmm. that they're doing that requires us taking a harder look at. That's that's some good stuff right there. Al, boy, just got to go back and look at it. Think about it now, Sam. In this game, now they played three games, right? In this game, we saw the the pull off the dual play, right? That was different, okay? I don't, we haven't really seen them do that. And if they did, I, I, I missed it. Uh, the split zone arc, which we're going to get, I just talked about, where they brought a guy around and made the guy close, and that was different. And then they ran the insert zone, which we have not seen in the first three games, okay, where, where they're zoning the front side, inserting someone on the inside linebacker on the backside, uh, so that's three different schemes that uh, have not really shown up in other games. Now, my guess is they'll play this week. You'll get two or three different schemes again. But they won't be a drastic departure from something they already do. Where those plays become dicey is when you try and recreate the wheel. You try and put in a play that doesn't really relate to any scheme that you use in the rest of your offense and then they run some defense you didn't expect, and they blow the play up in the backfield. All those plays are plays off plays they already have. Yeah. So as I get the next question, Al, uh, as much as we talk about repping these, all these different elements in the run game, you'll get uh, the inevitable question, which I'm sure will come up in this stream, is are there aspects, are there elements in the pass game that they need to be concerned with with repping at new elements added each week in the passing game. Do you notice that? And if not, is there should should a if a fan is concerned that they aren't showing enough additional wrinkles in the pass game uh, right now to be able to pull it out when they need it? Do you think that's a valid concern for a fan to have? Well, I think it's a valid concern, but they're doing it with the pass game also this week the route du jour 
was multiple crosses because, you know, uh, uh, Rutgers runs so much man-to-man defense, whether it's an early down or later down. Uh, we had not seen in the first uh, third down conversion to, to uh, Donovan in the flat was, you know, double crosses where they picked the inside linebacker. He shot into the flat off a of motion. We had not seen that play. That play was dis- – now we've seen it in the past. We've seen it in other, you know, other years, but I have not seen that play on video yet this year. Okay. They ran the slot square out from the inside for the, what I call a Winston route where uh, we had not seen that play. So that's different. They ran a different flea flicker where it came off a reverse to Donovan and, you know, a couple of exchanges uh, that was different. So there is some stuff um, that we have not seen uh, within the passing game that it, it is a little bit different. So it's, it's not static. It, it does change. And if they do something different, it's generally from a, a different formation, a different personnel where the window dressing is such that they can't see the play and say, here it comes. All right, let's get back to the questions from the people. David Bresson says, Al, on the subject of play buster defenses and buster buster plays in response, do you ever collaborate with your defensive coordinator to better anticipate what the opposing defenses will do from a defensive mindset? So would you get with Vance and talk about, hey, Vance, how would you defend this? Hell right, yeah. But some, some coordinators don't. They don't, but I did. You know, and some some defensive coordinators, they weren't always forthright. <laughs> with, they weren't always anxious to tell you what they did, you know, but uh, most guys I work with would. Hey, uh, Kevin Steele, who is, he's at Alabama now, but I worked with uh, Kevin uh, and coached against him and worked with him at uh, Auburn and Kevin would he tell you anything you want to know? How you how you play in that match versus bunch? What's the good? He'd tell you. You know, some guys won't. You know, what do you think? Uh, I remember I remember uh, Will Muschamp was on our staff at uh, Auburn, and we were playing um, Alabama, okay? Now, Will had worked with Nick Saban for a long time, and I asked uh, Will a bunch of things. You know, what's, what's, he, what's, he, what's he hate? What's the, he don't like movement, and he don't like three-by-ones. Okay, he doesn't like if you if you shift a lot. He doesn't like he wants to be able to get his cleats in the ground, come after you. But and three by ones do create other issues. He's got answers to it. He knows, but but it's it's not what he prefers, you know. So yeah, I mean, hell yes. I mean, you got to use your resources, right? Mm-hmm. No doubt. You would think. I mean, it makes sense to me. But like you said, some coordinators don't do that. Uh, here's one that's about the defense. When is Mason Graham coming back uh, with a club on his hand? Yeah, he he the. Uh, Harbaugh didn't say a club. He didn't talk about the the specific injury, but uh, assuming for the sake of argument that it's a hand, you got to know Mason. He is definitely going to have him club it up. The the um, talk from Jim after the Rutgers game was that it'd be another week. So at least the Nebraska game, and what I imagine is they'll see how the wound heals, and assuming that the wound is healed, then he could go back out with a club. Um, if the wound's not healed, then he'll be out uh, another week. But it, Mason Graham will be back in the lineup as soon as Mason Graham is cleared to be back in the You best believe that. <laughs> he would make them club him up if they weren't already thinking about it. So that's just the type of dude uh, yeah. he is. Mason I- Graham is relentless. He is. He's got the relentless that, um, that Aiden Hutchinson had. Now, I'm not saying he's Aiden Hutchinson, but he's he is that relentless level. All right. Here's one out from Darren Talks Ball. 
what Al say the run game has finally been fully realized or there's still improvements, especially along the offensive line to be made. Oh yeah. Oh, always, always things that you can do better, you know, improve your footwork on your double teams so that you're always able to get the backside linebacker, you know, just subtleties within the, the fundamentals of play is ongoing work in progress. And, uh, and they're lucky they got a good line coach and, and he'll, he'll correct errors and he'll make the players better uh, because he'll insist on it, you know, and they will facilitate the kids success with their style of play because they are not a team that's going to drop back uh, 60 times and ask those defensive linemen to retreat or offensive linemen to retreat all the time. So um, yeah, I think there's always, you can always get better. And I think as you see the same five guys play, that's going to happen. All right, here's one, Al. I was asking you about this yesterday. Brady Tacorum over on the MichiganInsider.com wants to know, Al, with all the poor strategic execution we've seen this year from NFL and college, how much time approximately do teams spend on situational football? So to give you some examples, obviously the 10 men on the field, two plays in a row down the stretch uh, for Notre Dame. and Ohio State they blew that game. They blew that game so bad. Uh, so then another example, Brandon Staley. Uh, backed up. He's on his own 24 yard line on fourth and one, and his team is up four with less than two minutes to go. And he goes for it. He goes for it. And fortunately, Kirk Cousins is the quarterback for the Minnesota Vikings, and he throws an interception to save Staley's behind. But terrible decision. You know, Josh McDaniels, he has his team on the eight yard line. There are, I think there's 222 left on the clock. His team is down by eight, and it's fourth down from the eight-yard line. He kicks a field goal because he said with his team down eight, you need, you're going to need multiple possessions anyway. Al, I, I mean, help, help me out. Help me understand. <laughs> well, that one, I think you just need to take a math class. You're good to go. But uh, the other ones... I'm sure there's an argument for all those things. But to answer the question, okay, how much time do you send on situational football? Everything is situational football. From the time you step onto the field, you're practicing some form of situation. Now, I I kept a checklist for practice on what we were going to cover during the course of the week, whether it be red zone plus 20, red zone plus 10, uh, goal line short yardage, two-minute offense, four-minute offense. I mean, everything on the checklist had to be covered, right? Had to be – yeah, got to go over all of it. Last three plays of the game, uh, you got to squeeze all that in so that when the, the game comes, that there's no surprises to not only the players, but as you just alluded to, Sam, the coaches too. Because sometimes, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on there, man. And you got the coaches like I was. The coaches got to get – particularly the head coach got to get help. You got to tell the head coach. Somebody has to be in the headset saying, "Okay, we're in a four-minute drill right now. Make sure we remind everybody to stay in bounds." Uh, okay, uh, coach, you only got two timeouts left. Let's use one after this play. And he'll say, "No, I don't want to use it till then." Well, at least you could, you know. And, and I remember when I was here that everybody would uh, give Brady Hoke uh, a ration of crap because he didn't wear headsets. Well, Brady, when we were in situational stuff, and he always had headsets on because there was always communication. So. You just got to make sure that you have practiced those situations as a coach and as a team. But now it's like anything else, Sam. 
things can be game specific for coaches too. They can get in a, in a grind and, and the pressures and the, the fans are screaming and, you know, it's chaotic. And all of a sudden you do something that you regret that you would have done. Yeah. You wish you wouldn't have done it after the fact, because at that time you didn't make a good decision. And we know those decisions, one bad decision could take you out of the game. One. And I felt, I told you this, I felt Rutgers should have kicked a field goal when they went for it on fourth down because they wanted to play, make it 17 to 10 and play us continue to play in their offense, a ball control game and win at the end. That was their best shot. But as soon as they went for it and then compounded the problem by trying to run a jailbreak screen against press coverage, then all of a sudden it was interception guy went for a game over. Now they've, they've got to do things they don't want to do that aren't in their culture and Michigan ran away. So you know, you can argue. I mean, people say, well, well, you know, you can't win with field goals. Well, sometimes you kick a field goal. Sometimes you take a ham sandwich over a steak because it keeps you in the game. Other times you kick too many field goals, you lose. I'm, 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 I'm with that thinking. But by the same token, uh, it can't you a lot of you win a lot of games have been won by three points, Sam. A lot of yeah. Games. I mean, I guess I, I hear your point, and you've coached a bunch of games, been in the arena. And I defer to you that it was it probably was the better decision, even in retrospect, which Shiano said, hey, you know, uh, stand by to play. I, I put his decision in a different category. I, I get why he did that. Like, you know, you're you're overmatched. You're on the road. You know, there's a line between being risky and being ridiculous. Mm-hmm. He was being risky, you know, taking a chance to see if it could maybe result in his team having an even better chance to win the game. The other dudes were being ridiculous. Yeah. No, <laughs> well, I'm not I'm not he, that was not a ridiculous decision. I just felt it was it was more judicious mm-hmm. to kick the field goal. That was I wouldn't call him dumb for doing that. No. He just he's trying, he don't want to kick a field goal. He wants, hey, I want him to keep the but the way they play, you know, is it, 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 if they were a, if they were a, you know, a, a, a air raid type deal, they could throw an efficient hell, do what you want to do on fourth down because so many people recommend on fourth down you go for it these days. But the way they play, I just felt they would have been smarter to do it the other way. But that's just really a difference. That doesn't make me right and wrong. It's just the way I thought in that situation because as soon as they came up on that fourth down, before they ever kicked it, I said, "Don't you did. go for it." Don't kick the kick this field goal. Get three points. Make it seventeen to ten, and now you can keep doing your stuff. You did. You did. You did. Yeah, Marcus Freeman. He's the least guilty of the the three ridiculous uh, <laughs> deals because there were so many break. I mean, you had the dropped interception. You had the decision to go, you know, vanilla on on third and nineteen. Uh, then you had whoever it was that was supposed to be the eleventh man not going on the field, and the coach is not you know, having the wherewithal to have someone get a penalty. So so it was a total breakdown, but they at least came back and said, we got a plan now for if we're in that situation, someone's going to take a penalty. But Staley doubled down on his. He said, I'm a, I would go for it again. Dude, seriously? Big Daniel still thinks you need. <laughs> he still thinks yeah, you need more. Yeah, yeah. The like, best thing to do in that situation is say, I screwed up. I should have not done that. Yeah, All right. Um, yeah. Here's another one, Al. Question for Borges. JJ went 0 for 2 on on first two and then went on to complete most of the remaining throws. What do you see in the first two throws? Is it a bad throw? Is it on receivers or JJ's nerves? What did you see? Well, the first throw was behind him on the on the out to the uh to the slot. I think he had the tight end 
running either a, an Ohio route or an option route. I'm not sure, but he was breaking out and the ball was a little bit behind him. He just didn't get his hips set to it like he like he usually has been doing. And it, it was a tough play. Now, the uh, the next pass, uh, he had to scramble. It was an empty route, and he had to scramble. It came up short of the first down. And then on the uh, on play six, the, the Winston route, the play-action pass with a slot run and the square out, kind of the same thing that got intercepted against TCU. Uh, he timed it just right, okay? He came off the fake. He took three. He planted and let it rip. But a misnomer, this is a misnomer that I learned years ago. When you throw outbreaking cuts on time, you understand? When he's running out of the break on time, you don't want to lead the receiver because the receiver has not gathered enough speed to run the ball down. So the best thing you could do is as you make the throw, basically throw the ball right at his outside hip so it runs him right into the ball. What J.J. did on that is he led him too much and the receiver had not gathered enough speed to chase down a ball that was led, okay? So that was more of a targeting issue, the ability to, to put the ball where you needed to throw it. But those are, you know, again, very easy to fix. But he got the footwork right, Al. He got, he got the and oh, right. Believe me, because if the footwork's wrong, now you got problems, okay? Because it's off time on a square out, and we saw what that happened. With that. So, but we've, we've taken the next step. But that with those two throws, that's what I saw. I don't think he got his hip set on the first one, and the second one, he just led the receiver too much. All right, here's one, Al. Uh, we've talked about Blake and Donovan together, but what are your thoughts on Mullings? Uh, with either of them and his impact on defenses? Well, again, I think he's a situational package kind of guy. I mean, you know, the only got one ball, Sam, and we're trying to get it to two guys that are dynamic, right? Mullins is a good back, but I think he's got to be used in situations that uh, that uh, catered his skill set. But he would he would be a guy I'd like to get into the game and use because I know he, he brings something to the table, but he would never uh, – I would always prioritize the other two first. Yeah, no doubt. I, <laughs> like, the, come on, pick, I, think I would never sacrifice a carry unless it was because of fatigue. Giving it to Mullins. Donovan is going to be all right, folks. Donovan is going to be all right. Yeah, he'll be fine. He'll be just, fine. just calm down. They, they're getting him involved in the passing game. Yeah. I think we're, we'll see more to the Donovan-Blake package as we move forward. And Donovan's going to get his four games. He's he's getting his rhythm, not fully there. And they have the luxury of some more games where you can like work on getting him his rhythm, right? I mean, yeah, big I have not what I thought it was going to be. Too, Sam, I have a contention on that too. And if you you just hear me out real quick, is see Donovan's when when Blake got hurt became the guy, right? Yeah. So it wasn't hard to get Donovan the ball. He was in rhythm because he was carrying it. They could easily incorporate him into the passing game. And the fan base got really excited about watching number seven plays, doing a lot of stuff, right? Well, now Blake's back, okay? So now the game is shorter because of the rule changes, right? You're splitting the carries and touches between two different guys. It's harder for Donovan to get into rhythm because he's not going to carry the ball like he did against Purdue or like he did against Ohio State, okay? So your expectations are high, yet the opportunities are less. That's a reason. Not an excuse. That's a reason. It doesn't mean that he can't be a major factor, and I'm betting anything. It's just a matter of time before he is. But the circumstances have changed somewhat uh, since last year. All right, Al. Uh, A couple of more before we get out of here. 
This one from Gary Klein. It seems to me they concentrated on a true read option scheme against Rutgers, where in the past J.J. was told what to do on the read prior to the play. Accurate or no? I have No, seen. that's not accurate. No, that's not accurate. He's, he, he's, he's either re- – he doesn't – if you see his eyes go to the edge when he puts the ball in the guy's gut, whether it be a zone read, a dual read, a bluff read, whatever, he's reading it. He's not being told pull it or don't pull it. That's not – that's not accurate. If you see, and again, watch the wings on this helmet because you'll know as well as I know. If you see like on that split zone arc, his eyes never went to the edge. That was a give. That ball was not going to be pulled under any conditions because he, if he doesn't look at the edge, he doesn't know whether to pull it or not, right? So I can assure you that that when, when his eyes go to the edge, those zone reads are being read. Now that some of them, He'll hand the ball off, and you'll swear to God he should have pulled it because the end will chase the guy after the fact. Oh, God, if he just would have pulled the ball. And sometimes that's not accurate either. People think that that the thing's wide open, but if you watch the film, the guy was looking at the quarterback all the way and just closed once he knew the ball was exchanged. So I would say, no, I don't think that's accurate. But there are there are times where you might lean, lean toward, like you said, on a bluff zone, you're leaning towards it's going to be a pull, right? Right. Now, see, that's different thinking for different plays. When you're in a pure zone read situation where the edge is not being attacked, okay, where somebody isn't coming across to kick him out on a split zone or something like that, now who knows what's going to happen? You hand the ball off or you look at it, see what he does. He squeezes too far, you pull it. If he doesn't, you hand the ball off. But when in doubt, we always tell him, hand the ball off, Okay. Make the guy make the play. Where on uh, bluff zones, where you're bringing a guy across the formation, the natural tendency for the edge player is to squeeze hard and play that block. So we tell the quarterback, be a little more aggressive with pulling the ball when we're pulling, bringing somebody across the formation on a bluff play, okay? Or a, like you say, a dual kick would be the same situation. We're, we're going to be a little more, there'll be more balls pulled in that situation. Will, than there would be if the edge wasn't attacked. Yeah, watch the film studies, folks. You can, you can get a cut if you're swimming. Don't don't be just watch. Don't be, I'll explain it all. Matter of fact, we're going to talk about it again this week. Yeah. All right. This is the last one that we have time for today. David Giovanni, question for Al, my Paisan friend. <laughs> he says, in your opinion, does JJ appear to have a confidence issue since throwing the picks against Bowling Green? Uh, not at all. No, I don't think so at all. No, he's he's letting it rip out there. The kid's having a blast. I mean, um, he didn't throw an interception in this game. Did he throw a ball that touched the defender's hands? Uh, I, I don't remember one. You know, it, it might have been. He might have had a couple ticked. But I didn't see any high-risk throws in this situation, and he completed, you know, 15 out of 21 passes. I don't, I don't think he's affected by it. If he's affected by it, you'll know it. Mm-hmm. You'll know it because he will not be – in a let it rip mode, he will be his his eyes will be all over the place. His, first of all, his feet will be all over the place. But he looked like he was letting it rip in the game uh, today, uh, uh, Saturday, and I think he's fine. Yep, 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 yep. All right, folks, we are out of time for. Oh, see, this. We don't have another hour. No, we oh. don't. We don't. Because hey, man, I got to get to Vance. 
We already pushed Vance down last week. Oh, said, we can't do that to Vance. What's going on with Al? <laughs> I say Vance, man. I'm trying. I'm trying. Oh, man. No, I just I can't keep my mouth shut. Just tell Vance I apologize. I'll, I'll throw him a crumb and he can have a couple minutes this week. Hey, throw him some barbecue. He'll be good. He'll be good. That's all he wants. Some barbecue. Folks, again, we have the film study. All the film studies go up on Wednesday. People can ask, hey, are you doing the film studies? They all go up on Wednesdays. All right. And they go up Wednesdays after steady dropping dime. So if you aren't aware of the Wednesday lineup, we're bringing back the Recruiting Insider. Recruiting Insider comes back on Wednesday with Bryce Marich and Steve Lorenz. Uh, you see us over on the MichiganInsider.com, so that comes back on Wednesday. Right after we record that, we go live with Steady Dropping Dimes, Devin Gardner and Daniel Horton. That's from 3 until 4. That's where we're talking all sports. We're talking college football. We're talking college basketball. We're talking NFL. We're talking NBA. We're talking about everything that's going on. Uh, in sports and culture, at least the biggest story. So that is three to four every single Wednesday. So set your reminders. In the meantime, in between time, I got to get back to what we're doing with Coach Borges on the film study. So thanks for watching us on another Michigan football breakdown focused on the offense with Al Borges. Go Blue! Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.